1: Greetings, grapple fans, and welcome to episode seventy five of the Pro Wrestling Index here on the a i podcast channel. Uh, this is the longest running podcast in the history of entertainment. Uh, well, actually, that's not true, but you know w w e can get away with making similar false claims about raw, then so can we and uh, it's been another eventful week in the uh, the wonderful world of uh, wrestling. So uh, plenty to discuss here, and uh, here to help me do just that is my audio tag team partner, Mo, Chatra, Mo Raw, the longest-running TV show in history and all that malarkey. I didn't realise TV started in 1993.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's only a few shows out there that have been running for about 50 years or more. But uh, yeah, why why let facts get in the way of a good um, bullshit lie? You know, it's never stopped the WWE in the past.
1: <laughs> the best bit was they even named one of them <laughs> even longer than <laughs> The Simpsons. Uh, what?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the thing is, I mean, now, obviously with The Simpsons, it's not um, a week in, week out show. Um, but uh, yeah, there's plenty of shows that have been running longer. Um, yeah, when it young comes and down the to is,
1: the dumb and the well, desperate. Yeah coronation street all them yeah yeah
0: yeah oh yeah totally um you know just two minutes of googling it and uh, you find lots of shows that are (laughs) longer than raw uh, and you know it's a bit of an insult to everyone's intelligence but you know i think at this stage because of the bubble that stephanie and her family live in they almost convince themselves that it really is the longest running um so more power to him you know if it makes him happy coming up with these lies and believing him and uh fair play
1: yep so that by those values we are the longest running podcast in the history of anything ever so um (laughs) here's one to hit you with mo before we uh, kind of get into things anyway chris jericho challenging kenny omega in new japan what's going on
0: bloody hell um well, I was watching um, New Japan's big show. Um, I think it was on Sunday, just gone. Um, the What date would that have been? The um, 5th of November, I think. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so I'm just quietly watching the show. It was a very good show as usual from New Japan. And then all of a sudden, um, after Kenny Omega's match against um, Trent Beretta who is a former WWE talent, Um, video appears on the screen, um, of a person in shadows, and then it turns out it's none other than Whitey J. Chris Jericho. I thought, bloody hell, what the hell was going on here? Um, and I was just coming up with all types of speculation, tweeting it, and, uh, then it turned out that Jericho's contract had expired, and, um, he was a free agent, and, um, even whilst he was with the WWE, he was actually tweeting certain things about kenya mega which got a lot of people talking in the internet wrestling community and um this is why it's because he was planning this all along and uh you know as soon as he became a free agent he uh penned a deal with new japan and as a result of that he will have a dream match of sorts with um arguably the hottest talent in the business in kenya mega at new japan's tokyo dome show on the 4th of january 2018 and I can't wait because it's going to be amazing.
1: I th- I think that uh, it's really caught a buzz and it should be it should be uh, quite the show to to watch. And, and obviously now it's it's just attracting more fans from all over and and not just I think not just because you've got Chris Jericho there and all that attention that it brings, but I think WWE fans who previously probably won't wouldn't have been that interested in. Uh, what was happening over in Japan? Seeing all these people turning up in WWE, knowing that they've got the history over there and seeing how good they are, and I and I think that's kind of spiked an in interest as well. So it's, I think it's healthy healthy for the business, and it and it's good that the, there's so much going on. And it's obviously like we said, there's WWE with this the the whole thing in Japan seems to be growing, uh, and and also ROH as well. Yeah, that's doing well. So it's it's got to be good for the business that there's there's more going on, and the the wrestling the wrestling world has become more and more aware of other things that are going on, and and it, not everything is centered around the WWE universe as they like to call it.
0: And it never was. I mean, you know, well before the WWE or the WWF became an international juggernaut. Um, you know, we had many promotions all around the world um, that were very successful. I mean, you go back to the 1960s and you know, pro wrestling was doing very, very well um, all over the world. You know, Australia, UK, Germany, France, India, Pakistan, Nigeria, South Africa, Mexico, um, Canada, US, Hawaii, all over, everywhere, Japan, Um you know, even into the 70s. And it was only in the 80s when the territory started to die out as Vince went on this aggressive um, um, jaunt to try and achieve world domination as far as the wrestling business was concerned. Um, But no, it's always been vibrant, you know, all over the world. It's just about being able to find it and look for it. And um, the great thing about the internet and modern technology is that um, all of this wrestling, football around the world, is more accessible than ever before. Um, I, I think that's the key
1: thing. More sorry, I think that's the yeah. key thing is the accessibility, and it feels like in in the last couple of years, it's become more and more accessible. Uh, and I think that's the thing now as well. It, it, more people yeah. are aware, and and it's the and it's even more easily accessible. So it's, uh, I think it, it's good for the business. It's good for the talents that they've got other places to go, isn't it?
0: It is absolutely totally, and you um, know there are people, you know, from who were talent, uh, sorry, contracted to the WWE, who this year decided to um, go onto the independent scene, go to Japan, um, because they just didn't want to deal with the hassle that comes with dealing with WWE creative, the hassle that comes with the politics, the hassle that comes with the nepotism that exists within the WWE and you know on the independent scene and elsewhere they can work with freedom without all of the politics and make very good money even still you know there's a lot of people making excellent money outside of the wwe matt hardy you know used to boast about it on twitter the amount of money he was making from the independent scene um so there's definitely money to be made but um yeah just very quickly i mean i remember back in the 90s when um you know i was part of a very small kind of section of the wrestling fan base in the uk that was buying tapes um, of japanese wrestling and us independence in mexico and you know you'd have to wait so long there were not many people that were selling these tapes and the quality of the tapes the vhs tapes were was really really poor Um, and now it's just completely different i mean there's so many promotions that have on-demand services and uh, what's also great to see is so many british promotions that Are very successful i mean i've talked about them on this pod in the past i mean one example is progress wrestling that's just about the coolest wrestling promotion out there i mean if you ever watch their stuff um it's just such a cool product um not really aimed at the family audience um, but it's not um overly graphic overly violent it's not gratuitous it's just um more to aim towards um you know a young adult audience and uh, it works fantastically well and it's actually one of these promotions in the uk that's got a working partnership with the wwe and um there's been talk throughout this year that their programming their shows will end up on the wwe network it's not happening as yet um, but they nonetheless have still got a very good um, on-demand service available for only something like five or a month um, and there's lots of promotions out there like that and um You know, they're just so much good content. I mean, I've written an article this year for Total Wrestling where I said that the quality of the in-ring product when it comes to pro wrestling has never, ever been better. And I've been watching pro wrestling for coming up to 40 years now. And, you know, I've been watching it on a worldwide basis for over a quarter century, you know, from all over the world. Never, ever has it been as good as it is now. And that's what makes it slightly disappointing in the WWE because, and as we've talked about at times, the quality of their in-ring products, you know, sometimes delivers magnificently, but it does underwhelm given just how much quality they've got on their roster. They've got so much talent and, um, so much of that talent doesn't quite deliver in the way that it can and it has done when it's been outside of the WWE. And I'm really hopeful that, um, somebody just cotton's on to the fact that look we've got a talent roster that's underperforming and let's look at why they're underperforming and if they do that and they just give the talent the freedom to perform in the way that they can freely perform elsewhere whether it's the independence or japan um the wwe product will be all the better for it
1: Mm, i mean well speaking of the wwe product i mean as I mentioned at the top of the show, that we, we've got a lot to talk about tonight, a lot to get through. Uh, we have got our nostalgia. It's I mean, Obviously Survivor Series is coming up, so we're going to have our n- nostalgia uh, week tonight. Uh, bit of a quiz there for more. Um, part of the nostalgia, we will take in some of your suggestions in there as well. We'll have a reaction to them. Uh, we're going to have a run run down the, uh, the NXT card ahead of the NXT TakeOver War Games event. But we're going to start... Uh, in the UK and with WWE, because uh, Raw SmackDown have been in the UK, been in Manchester, uh, two good events. We've got has got to be said, two good shows, and things changing more. Monday night we had the the Raw Tag Team titles change hands. Um, I've got to say I wasn't really expecting that one, and then Tuesday night it was rumoured that it could be happening, and indeed it did. AJ Styles uh, beats jinder mahal to become wwe champion i mean this really does change things around at survivor series and and i think certainly in the case of uh, of aj beating jinder mahal makes it a much more exciting proposition for what we're going to see in that match
0: yeah um big surprises in a way um not least because we hardly ever get title changes on uh wwe uh, tv shows broadcasting out of the uk um you know wwe uk shows are notoriously uneventful so it was really a pleasant surprise to see these title changes even though obviously as you say there were rumors floating about that um, the wwe championship could be um switching hands um it was great the first night though on raw when we saw Cesar and Seamus win the WWE, um, World Tag Team Championships because, uh, of the fact that they turned out in Liverpool kits and, um, in front of the Manchester audience, that was just beautiful. So, uh, you know, kudos to them. Kudos to Seamus, obviously, as we know, is a, a huge red. So, uh, that, that was great. Um, and the match itself was very good. Um, but, you know, we, we tend to expect that with Cesar and Seamus that are, you know, um, as consistent a tag team as there is in the WWE at this moment in time, um, a tremendous pairing. Um, and then the next night, um, the reaction to the win from AJ Styles was magnificent. Um, clearly, the vast majority of the audience didn't expect it. And uh, that's what made the victory all the sweeter and uh, all the more uh, momentous. And, uh, you know, given that the WWE is um, going on a tour of India um, next month, I did expect them to keep the title on Jinder um, up until then, and then um, perhaps um, go in a different direction um, after perhaps at the Raw Rumble with him dropping the belt and then uh, putting the belt onto somebody more uh, credible um, who can carry the belt um, in the right way. But um, no, I, I was fine with the title changing hands just simply because uh, you know Jinder for me is somebody who. Doesn't deserve the belt, has never deserved the belt, should never become the champion, and became the champion for completely the wrong reasons, um, as far as I'm concerned. Um, So, um, no complaints from me that AJ is the champion. And hopefully now that he is the champion, um, you know, we'll get to see a really good match between he and Brock Lesnar um, at Survivor Series, unless uh, we have another title change, next week on SmackDown, and you can't rule that either. I mean, there's every chance that uh, there's a rematch that's demanded by uh, Jinder, and he gets his way and uh, reclaims the title, and um, then we go back to square one, and it's Jinder against Brock all over again.
1: But, yeah, because um, th- there's a women's championship uh, on the line on Tuesday night on SmackDown as well, so it's 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 kind of funny, isn't it, to, to see titles changing hands so close to a, a pay-per-view, especially... Uh, a pay per view of this magnitude and the way that it's been built up with type, with champion versus champion, you know, to be, to be to be switching the belts around it's it's a strange one, isn't it?
0: Well, that's right, and um, you know, often there are reasons behind these things. Um, we like to at least think there are good reasons behind um, surprise title changes, um, especially in the lead up to. a a big pay-per-view in um, the Survivor Series is still one of the big four um, traditional pay-per-views. Um, but I, I've personally got no problem with both title changes just simply for the fact that um, the individuals of the teams that um, the, that won the titles um, are very, very good. And uh, so in that respect, had no problems with the title changes. But you're quite right. Um, seemed seems somewhat bizarre somewhat strange inexplicable almost why this would happen prior to Survivor series and um you know if anything um you know it makes it a little bit more interesting leading into the show and now if the intention is to try and create a bit of talk and a bit of interest then you can say that it has worked because uh this week there's certainly been a fair bit of buzz um amongst the wwe fan base because of um, the events of Raw and SmackDown. And um, certainly people have been tracking down um, highlights on YouTube or elsewhere um, of these title changes and uh, been talking about these things a bit more than they perhaps had been in previous weeks and months. So, you know, if, if that was the intention, then job well done.
1: Yeah. Fair play to them. Uh, another guy who we, we got to see on Raw uh, and he got a hell a hell of a reception was Pete Dunn, uh, but that does transition as nicely over to the NXT Takeover event as well as, as it happens because uh, the the it's going to be uh, on the pre-show or uh, yeah I'm guessing it's pre-show the dark match whatever. Um, on NXT Takeover it's going to be Pete Dunn against Johnny Gargano. Now this more. I'm confused because this is for the UK Championship and I'm struggling to uh, to put my finger on exactly whereabouts in the UK Johnny Gargano's from.
0: Yeah, maybe he's um, going to claim some, um, I don't know, grandparent or some kind of lineage, but um, Gargano, Gargano doesn't sound like much of a name you'd associate with somebody from Tipton or, um, you know, Droitwich or uh, Bath or Exeter or something. <laughs> Um no, it, that one's uh somewhat lost on me, but uh you know it, it still it still means look we get to see Pete Dunn on yeah. a bigger show and uh you know we really haven't seen anywhere near enough of him um on WWE programming as as we should have done. Um yes he's put in the odd appearance on NXT, um but given he won a WWE championship belt um back in May and he was a star of Um, the two-night tournament that emanated out of Blackpool back in January, at that point in time onwards, he should have become a regular on WWE television. And if he was made to be the focal point of 205 Live, um, you know, I'm not saying that it would have been a roaring success, but it would have certainly stood a better chance of being um, noticed and registering something on the WWE Universe's Richter scale um, because you know, he clearly outshines everyone else on that uh, brand at this moment in time, now that obviously we have no more Neville, no more Austin Aries. Um he's certainly got charisma, um, an aura about him, star presence. Um more the more impressive for somebody from my former hometown of Birmingham. Um so fair play again uh, to Pete Dunne. He's he's an exceptional talent. I've got he a is. lot of uh, um- for him.
1: I mean, his, his opponent here, Johnny Gargano, I mean, we laugh, obviously, there is absolutely no British connection, it's, it's a bizarre one for it to be for the UK title, but yeah. uh, Johnny Gargano, you know, uh, Johnny Wrestling, he's a fantastic in-ring competitor, so, I mean, you know, you, you've eulogised there about Pete Dunne, I mean, basically, well, what we're looking forward to here is is essentially a fantastic wrestling match.
0: That's right. Yeah. I believe it's actually going to be part of the um, takeover events pre-show. Um, and I know you're not one to normally watch pre-shows, um, Andy, but um, this will get uh, me I, watching I it. You will watch it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, th- this will be a, a very, very good match. It really should be an excellent match. Um Johnny Gargano um, is familiar with Pete Dunne. I think they've worked together in the past um, and, um, you know, they know each other well. Certainly they've, worked um the promotions um you know uh, like progress that you know, both individuals have worked for and um you know so they're familiar with each other's work at the very very least and um you know these are two guys that like to give it the raw. and um you know it's just a shame that it's on the pre-show in fact um if it had a bit more build um and had it been on the main card it would have very easily stolen the show um but um Nonetheless, I still think it will be very, very strong a match and uh, a great way to kick off the night.
1: Yeah, absolutely so. And uh, another match that I, I'm not sure how quite how it's going to play out, um, Alistair Black against the Velveteen Dream. I'm a big fan of Alistair Black. I love the way he carries himself. Um, it, it's just something about him, he, he's got... A certain charisma about him. He's explosive. Great striker. He's really connected with the crowd. I just think this is going to be interesting to see how they handle this one.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, they've been um, building the match up for several weeks. And, um, you know, they've had um, heat segments where um, the team gets the upper hand on um, Alistair Black. Um, but really, it would be a travesty in my view if, um, you know, Alistair Black's doing the job here. You know, he's got something about him and, you know, he should be pushed in 2018 as almost like uh, one of the focal points of NXT. Um, he's an exceptional talent. As you say, he's certainly got something about him, star presence or charisma. And a quiet charisma, not the usual kind of, um, you know, very extrovert personality. Um, he's, he's got a different type of charisma and, um, you know, he's, he's got that something special and uh, he knows how to carry himself. And, um, you know, the reason why that character works is because, you know, that character is, is not a character. It's, it, it's, it's a real person that, that is Alistair Black. That's the person behind the gimmick. It's one and the same. And, um, you know, when you've got that authenticity, it really helps a character get over when it's um, an extension of that real life individual. And, um, you know, on top of that, the way he works matches, you know, brings something slightly different, you know, really striking, etc. cetera. Um, so I'm hoping that we see more of that. And um, as I say, it would be just a complete joke if he isn't put over and um, I hope he's put over strong.
1: Yeah, I, I I wholeheartedly agree. Wholeheartedly agree. Uh, well, the women's championship, the uh, well, the, the vacant NXT women's championship per uh, more. Ember Moon versus Kyrie Sane versus Nikki Cross versus Peyton Royce with Billy Kay by her side, of course, uh, in a fatal four way. How do you see this one going then? Because how, does this have to be the crown in November Moon, or? Or do they have to go along the lines of Kyrie saying winning that tournament and has now got to sort of really be pushed into the focal point of this, or, or do do they go with the, with the the outsider option of of either Nicky Cross or Peyton Royce?
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting one where they go with this one. I mean, obviously, um, Asuka was a very long-term champion of it was over 500 days, wasn't it? It was a very long title reign. Um, and not that it should come into it in any way, but, um, if they have Kairi Sane, um, winning the title, then yet again, another person from Japan holding that belt, um, is something that they might just want to have, you know, a slight difference with, um, and go with, uh, go in a different direction. Somebody like a Nikki Cross might be just that person, um, you know, she's a very good worker. She's got a very interesting gimmick, one that you take notice of. And um, I think they can do different things with Nikki Cross, whereas with Karisane, um Sane, no, she's a different type of worker to um, ask her, um, but not completely dissimilar. So you would get slightly more of the same with her, whereas with Nikki, I think you can do different things with her. and um, So that's why I'd like to see her in the belt. But you can't rule out Ember Moon. Um, you know, she had a couple of really good matches with um, Aska, um earlier this year. Uh, I think it was late last year as well, possibly. And um, certainly came across very impressively. Um, if Royce wins the title, then I'm just going to stop watching NXT. And I might just stop watching WWE because that will be the travesty of all travesties.
1: <laughs> she's not that. She's actually uh, quite decent. She's certainly a lot better than Billy Kay. She's but, improved.
0: Uh, I mean, yeah, she, she's you know,
1: okay, but I mean, I, I like the way they carry themselves. Them too, they they really do carry themselves well. They, they are, good yeah. yeah, they are. I, well, mention heel. What's coming to my mind is, do we perhaps see a heel turn here from Ember Moon and not win the title and and a heel turn in the process? Is this what this is? You know, maybe Carrie saying wins it and we see a, a heel turn from from Ember Moon. Do you think even that's a possibility?
0: Oh, it always is. Yeah. I mean, um, the storyline of Ember, you know, coming so close to winning the title and then this newcomer that's only been in the company for five minutes, turning up and winning the belt. Um, you know, it's very easy to develop a story off of that and, um, run with it. And, uh, that would certainly work perfectly well. And, um, got no doubt that Ember Moon can work very well as a heel. Um, if anything with those kind of contact lenses she wears, um, she probably is more suited to be in the heel. So that's certainly a possibility. Um, but yeah, the good, the good thing about the match is though, that, um, you know, the belt can e- easily end up on any of the four individuals. Um, you can't rule any of those possibilities out. Um, and, and that's the way it should be really, but yeah, if, that's if, exactly if it's a foregone conclusion. Um, your interest in the match will be uh, significantly less.
1: Yeah, that, yeah, that's that's a very good point. Yeah, but just the way it should be. I'll save the other one for for last because um, I know you used to watch uh, the WCW back in the day. So next one we'll we'll look at is the NXT Championship. Uh, Drew McIntyre uh, defending against Sam uh, Almas. Is that is that right? That's
0: right, yeah, yeah. Of, uh, Andrade, Andrade, Cien Almas.
1: Andrande, yeah, Cien Almas. Now, I've got to say, I like McIntyre. I do. I like him. I've been very disappointed with his title reign, though. It's it's become it, it's come across as kind of mundane and a bit boring to me. And this this feud, if if you can even call it a feud, I've got to say, Moore's done absolutely nothing for me at all. And and this has been, I found, the really disappointing uh, NXT Championship run.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a surprising one because um, McIntyre on the independent scene, um, whilst he was away from the WWE, um, had actually on the whole been very good. I mean, I saw some of his indie matches which were completely underwhelming. Um, but I saw other matches he had where he was actually really, really good. But I've got to agree with you. I mean, since he's returned, um, certainly since he won the championship, um, he hasn't really um, set the NXT world on fire by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, you know, perhaps it's to do with the fact that he's feuding with Almas. And um, Almas hasn't really, again, um, got himself over in the way that perhaps people expected. He came in with a lot of hype. Um, and La Sombra coming in from, um, I think it was CMLL. It might have been AAA in Mexico. And, um, you know, there was big things expected of him and he hasn't really lived up to the hype and he's fallen short of expectations. Um, so he's coming in, uh, he's McIntyre in his first kind of, Four since t- winning the belt um, against a talent who isn 't really over, and furthermore um, you know he's um, it, it really doesn't have a very strong distinction in terms of face he kind of deny no, it, it's, so, it's
1: bland it 's bland unfortunately it's quite bland and oh. and i don 't see it being a great match. And uh, and I certainly don't see the title changing hands.
0: No, neither do I. I think that um, they'll look to keep the belt on um, the uh, the champion for a while, and um, you know certainly there will be another NXT takeover um, the weekend of the Royal Rumble in a couple of months, and then um, certainly at WrestleMania weekend we'll also see um, another NXT takeover then, and I would suspect. That, um, they'll look to keep the belt on, uh, McIntyre till then, um, because as we know, they tend to prefer longer title reigns for the NXT Championship. They certainly don't like to play hot potato with a belt, and, um, no. you know, that, that's good. Um, so that's why, you know, on his first big takeover defense, um, just can't see him dropping the belt, but, um, you know, they might just decide, well, look, let's just keep it going for, a, another couple of months, and if that's the case, then they might decide, let's switch the title now and then have McIntyre reclaim it at um, the takeover in January. Mm. And then after um, the title defence against the fallen champion, perhaps a week or two later on um, the regular NXT show, they can then line up somebody else um, for McIntyre to feud with leading into
1: WrestleMania. Mm. Um, But uh, I hope not. No, yeah, uh, no exactly. I, I want them to move on from this and and get someone more interesting for him. But yeah. anyway, by so the bye, so the final one, the one I'm sure you are looking forward to, uh, the War Games match. So we've got the Authors of Pain with Roderick Strong against Sanity of uh, Alexander Wolfe, Eric Young, and Killian Dim, and the Undisputed Era, uh, Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly. So this one. Uh, did you want to explain to listeners um, a bit bit more about the War Games?
0: Yeah, sure. So War Games is a match that started out in the promotion that became WCW, that used to be known as the NWA, and um, this is a match that started out around, I think it was about 1987 or 88, and Originally it was a match designed for the four horsemen. So when they used to have um so you know, Rick Flair, Tully Blanchard, um Ole Anderson Arne Anderson had opponents um like Dusty Rose, the Road Warriors, Lex Luger, Barry Windham, others. Um they settle their differences, it would all culminate in war games. And war games is about having two rings next to each other. And having a double cage um, surrounding the two rings. Um, and the, the whole idea was, was that, um, you know, the flip of the coin, which the Heels would win on every single occasion in the history of WCW. <laughs> um, and then um, so obviously one opponent from each of the teams would start out and then whoever won the coin toss uh, would then enter the cage next. And it would be two on one. Uh, for uh, several minutes until um, the face side inevitably, invariably, um, evened it up several minutes later. And then so it continued until all of the um, members of each team were in the ring. Um, but certainly the team that won the coin toss would have uh, one-person advantage um, up until the point at which everyone was in the cage. And once everyone was in the cage, that's the point at which... Um, that the match could finish and it was only a one-four finish. So it wasn't a, an elimination type match where everyone had to lose by pinfall four submission. Um, and this often delivered some of the most heated, most intense matches in the history of WCW. Um, so it almost always delivered really good matches until the days when Hulk Hogan and his, um, cronies, like the nasty boys turned up on the scene and ruined that very very great concept of war games um, but until then um you know it was a, a great great match um i remember paulie dangerously um, now known as paul Heyman, his dangerous alliance facing um sting's team and uh brian pillman and others were in that and again that was a magnificent match one of the best matches in 1992 from wcw um so it was a, it was a great great match um this obviously has a difference in that we've got three teams, so I'm not quite sure how a coin toss will work because um, coins tend to be two-sided unless uh, anyone knows of a three-sided <laughs> coin. Um, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they'll wa- figure some way of working it. And uh, you know, if it comes even close to the quality of war games matches from um, the glory days of WCW, then uh, we're in for a treat. So. I'm actually looking forward to seeing how they deliver this. And it will certainly uh, not only be a great spectacle, but you'll, uh, for a long-time fan like me, bring back some fun memories as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, I don't really care who wins. Uh, just, I'm just kind of intrigued to see this and just to see how it'll play out. Uh, and just, like you say, as a spectacle, it's going to be interesting, to say the least. And I think this is just another one of those, the influence of Triple H uh, and obviously his background and uh,
0: his oh well, yeah what he his,
1: grew up watching and uh, yes uh, he was a part of WCW before he was in he moved to the then WWF as well so you know he's he he's got that background here like you say what he grew up watching you know his heroes were all involved in this so yeah yeah the the influence is clear and I think yeah for, at the very least it's going to be interesting and this. I suspect more that this is almost the, the 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 guinea pig to see whether or not WWE will attempt this at some point on the main roster, uh, I guess, to see how this plays out, how they're going to handle it, what the reaction's like uh, during the match and, and after it, to whether or not they maybe attempt a version of this on the main roster at some point down the line.
0: Well, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Vince is notorious for rejecting any um, concepts, ideas that have been used elsewhere, especially in promotions that he uh, bitterly hated and were seen as, you know, rivals for the WWF or WWE. And um, so it's a surprise to an extent that um, the War Games concept is being um, used in the WWE. But yeah, I mean, you're quite right. If it works well, you never know. We might see a Chamber of Horrors match in the WWE. We might see the Triple ca- uh, Cage of Doom. Um we might see the world war three uh pay per view concept reprise with three rings um there's all sorts of possibilities there's all sorts of wacky ideas that were Punjabi prison
1: yeah. matches yeah there's everything you name it <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah yeah it it should be it should be interesting and the event itself should be interesting um <sighs> We'll see how it goes. Open mind, uh, and I, I suspect it'll, if, if we go in with medium expectations, I suspect it will over deliver and be part of a cracking weekend. So, uh, so, ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com
0: have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. and airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
1: that's it look that there's your nxt takeover preview that's all done and dusted it's time now for us to get to the bit that we've, we've been looking forward to it's time for a bit of nostalgia survivor series style this time so before we crack on with it more i've lined up a bit of a um, a bit of a Survivor Series quiz for you. So oh, no. I, I'm I'm ready to test your grey matter. Um, I a couple of them I think are quite simple. I think they're easy enough to get, but um, a couple of them might be a bit tougher. So let's so let's just see how you do. So the first one, uh, this is a multiple choice question. The Elimination Chamber made its debut at Survivor Series, but in which year? was it a 2002 b 2003 or c 2004
0: um 2002
1: you are correct that was a good one question 2 where did the 1997 survivor series take place was it a calgary b toronto or c montreal
0: how can i forget and uh, especially given the fact I've written an article about it just this past week, it's Montreal.
1: Of course it is, yeah. 20 years ago since the Montreal screw job. Blimey. Uh, question three. The 2001 Survivor Series was uh, headlined by the Invasion Angle with Team WWF versus Team Alliance. Now, the Alliance was led by Steve Austin. But can you name three of the four other Teammates on that uh, that team with Steve Austin.
0: Oh, that's a tricky one. Um, Diamond Dallas Page. Oh, no. Ah. Um, Kurt Angle. Yes. Um. Book T? tea? Yes. And um I'll go with right, who is in
1: WCW? Um we push you for time.
0: <laughs> um right, I'll go with um Lance Storm.
1: No. RVD or Shane McMahon were the other ones. Oh. Ironic, isn't it? Kurt, Kurt Angle and Shane McMahon are in it this year. Hey, <laughs> uh, Right, question four. The Undertaker famously made his debut at Survivor Series, but which year was it? Was it 1989, 1990 or
0: 1991?
1: 1990. It was indeed. And last Question. The 2006 Survivor Series had a traditional elimination match with a bit of a twist. It was the Spirit Squad versus a team of legends. Now, the team of legends obviously won, but can you name them? I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll let you. Can you name three of that team of four legends? Um, I, I will give you a clue and say one of them's no longer with us. Tragically.
0: Rowdy Roddy Piper?
1: Oof, no. Oh dear.
0: Um Jimmy Snooker. No. Oh dear. Um I thought they fought against the Generation X. Um in no. that I remember okay. I'll have to pass. Go on, tell me the answer.
1: <laughs> rick flair dusty Rhodes, yeah. ron simmons and sergeant slaughter oh dear yeah well, that, was, clearly... that was that was that was a bit of a yeah, out there question i've got to say i've got to say i'm impressed with uh, especially the first one the elimination chamber picking that one off i didn't realize till researching it i didn't realize it was so long ago that we first saw elimination chamber so there yeah, you go yes blimey yeah um, and twenty years since we had the Montreal screw job i mean you you still remember watching that at the time oh yeah, goodness
0: that was um incredible and uh I think it's actually twenty years today, as we recall this on the ninth November for memory. It was ninth November nineteen ninety seven and um I had um started writing a newsletter um And uh, I wrote a big, big article on it, which ran in about six pages, because it was just, at the time, the most incredible story I think any wrestling fan had ever come across.
1: Yeah. Um, Um, The thing is, that 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 was the aftermath, though, wasn't it? Because actually watching it live, did did you realize that... (laughs) That what had happened, or a sniff of it, because you got the sense that was something else was going on there. It it wasn't your normal finish, was it? And I don't just mean no. them calling for the bell. I, I mean just the reaction. Uh, you know, that obviously Vince McMahon and and the agents around the ring, and and you could tell by the reaction of Bret Hart something you could tell this wasn't normal, was it?
0: Oh yeah, totally. Um... I mean, I was aware about what was going on behind the scenes leading up into the show because, um, by that point in time, I was the European distributor for the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, which at that time and still is the, um, the best insider news source for the pro wrestling business. And, um, so I used to receive the copies from Dave Meltzer by email every week. And obviously I was reading the, um, Story as it was developing about Bret Hart wanting, wanting out from the WWF, um, and wanting to, um, go off to the WCW. And, um, you know, this was a very, very big, contentious talking point, um, leading into the Survivor Series. So I was aware about the tensions, um, that were going into the show. Um, but I didn't expect what happened to happen. Um, and, uh, certainly when, that match finishing the way it did um you know uh, certainly started putting two and two together and thinking well this is clearly something to do with um the plan for brett wanting out of the company and uh you know it was um you know obviously we had the internet around back then so um you know i went online the next day and um you know there were websites that um were reporting that yeah it, it certainly seemed to have been somewhat of a screw job and uh, obviously um, the next night on Raw um, it was confirmed and I think in those days if you remember we didn't get Raw live so we had to wait until I think it was a Friday night or a Thursday yeah night. it was it was not right.
1: like yeah it was later in the week yeah but it was it definitely yeah. had a, it had such a different feel to it didn't it and I, I'd say it was yeah. it, it was a night that kind of changed the whole shape of and landscape of, of professional wrestling really, because that was from that spawned that the Mr. McMahon character, you know for all obviously stone cold was already happening or well, was on the way to yeah. happening that really that moment that event you know the survivor series there that that really spurned that Mr. McMahon character and, and turned him into you know legit the the biggest tale. To the fans, so it was. It, it was. It was a night that really changed the com the whole complexion of the business.
0: It, it was a very monumental um, event. Or so it felt at the time, but it's interesting actually because um, I was asked to write for Total Wrestling an article about how that angle. Well, not it wasn't an angle. It was a real life event um, impacted the business and um, how it influenced things. And um, I actually. Michael wrote the complete opposite. And what I actually wrote was, was that, um, it didn't have any real impact on the business. Um, and at the time it felt like the biggest thing ever. Um, uh, but looking back at it and looking at how things panned out for WCW, the WWF, I actually came to the conclusion. It had very little impact. Um, and the reason is, is that if you think back a few weeks before that event to, um, monday night raw emanating out of madison square garden stone cold steve austin hit the stone cold stunner on vince mcmahon so the seeds were being planted before weeks before the survivor series for the heel turn and um, he was for all intents and purposes even by that point in time um you know starting to turn into that kind of um authority figure um, kind of almost revealing himself as the actual owner of the company, whereas up until then he Kfaved it and basically presented himself as just a commentator at Vince. Uh, but it was basically being given away prior to the five series. He was actually the owner of the company mm. and um, that the seeds were being planted um, about the whole Vince and uh, Austin thing prior to that. And then what turned Austin into this m- mega over character was, his angle with uh, Mike Tyson a few weeks later just after the Royal Rumble and again that was something that was planned um, prior to the whole thing with Brett so um, that was the ser- the different take that I put on it um, in my article
1: it's, I think that it's a, that's a fair argument absolutely fair argument and I absolutely see where you're coming from so that's a fair point uh, one of the Survivor Series we mentioned there in uh, 1990 the the debut of the undertaker, but also that night. Do you remember more? It was the long awaited night where the, uh, the egg cracked, who was going to be in it, (laughs) all these things who would be in the egg turned out to be the gobbledygooker.
0: Oh goodness. Listeners, um, believe it or not. And uh, I think um, Andy will be able to relate to this uh, at school. You know, we were speculating for weeks. What could be in that egg? Um, it was a giant, supersized egg <laughs> that um, was shown on, um, I think, Superstars of Wrestling, Wrestling Challenge, yeah, um, week
1: after week.
0: Yes, and just um, by chance, you
1: know, it happened to um, to hatch in that that three hours when Survivor Series was on. But anyway,
0: exactly, yeah. But no, everyone thought, look, this is going to be the unveiling of a new wrestler and. It's all going to be really exciting. And uh, no, no, it wasn't. It was somebody dressed up as a chicken <laughs> dancing in the ring with Gene Oakland. So, uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> and I remember even then the fans could crap on stuff and they certainly crapped all over that. <laughs> yeah. Took a, a gimmick that didn't last long. I, I mean, wasn't there rumours that that, that that I actually hoped that they could use him in ring, you know, as a one of these, you know, like a... A character that would appeal to children or something like that was that one of the well, uh, thoughts you know thinking it, oh, but the bright ideas this is what we could get out of it
0: it may well have been i mean obviously they had uh, a rooster um only a year earlier in the red rooster terry taylor <laughs> then he um eventually
1: he walked around um, like a chicken
0: <laughs> yeah 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 got fed up and uh probably walking out in with all the neck injuries the,
1: walking at walk because it impersonating a right. chicken.
0: <laughs> oh goodness. Things these people did for <laughs> money, I tell you what. Yeah, we um, had
1: bin men, we had um uh, repo men, we had farmers, <laughs> we had basically uh, if you could think of a job, he was a wrestling gimmick.
0: Yeah, oh goodness. Um the characters so the uh the boss man, the mounty um, the Birdman. Wow, you don't yeah. see stuff like that anymore. That was oh, wrestling. Uh,
1: <laughs> exactly, that's wrestling. You can't beat that, can you? <laughs> um, one here from uh, from Killian Murphy. men uh, actually mentioned the Survivor Series 2002 with the, the debut of the Elimination Chamber. Uh, a, a moment to remember for him, Lesnar F5 on the Big Show, and then him and turning on Lesnar. Do you remember that one?
0: Um, I don't actually. No, no.
1: I a... I vividly remember the um, the F5 on the on the Big Show. and thinking, holy crap, <laughs> that's monstrous. But uh, yeah, remember Heyman turning on uh, on Lesnar and then we had Heyman alongside the Big Show and uh, Lesnar turning into a baby face and trying to talk. That uh, that didn't go too well.
0: Yeah, almost as big a flop as um the Gobbledygooker, but uh yeah, that <laughs> that's um something that I've surprisingly forgotten about. Um <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> somehow don't to forget the more um, embarrassing stuff that you just want yeah. to forget as soon as you watch so,
1: it. But. Somehow even they didn't dare ask Brock Lesnar to dress up as a chicken, but uh, yeah. So uh, what? Some Survivor Series then? I mean, this year is actually the 30th anniversary, isn't it? It's, uh, 1987, the first ever Survivor Series. I mean, do you recall? Did you get to watch that one? Because it was was before I'd started watching. The first one I saw was 1989.
0: Yeah, so, uh, um, I mean, 1987 is when I was actually watching the WWF on ITV. So for those that are not aware, uh, before it ended up as a staple part of um, Sky Television, um, WWF was broadcast initially on, um, I think it was also broadcast on um, Sky which there was a channel called sky channel which was um available to a few thousand homes that had these very very expensive satellite dishes and that first launched around 1984. Uh, but for a larger audience the first exposure to the WWF was um, January 23rd 1987 I think it was and that was the very first time it aired in the slot for world of sport and i wasn 't aware that this was going to air, so instead of seeing giant haystacks and Big Daddy, what I got instead was a guy bigger than Big Daddy in Kamala, the Ugandan giant, but instead of just being an immobile fat lump, he was a very mobile fat lump who was doing a flying splash off the top off the top rope. I saw the British Bulldogs and the Hart Foundation have um Really quite amazing looking match. Um, it was only about 10 minutes, I think, but all energy, high tempo, really, really impressive. And then we had a strap match with Hulk Hogan and um, matchman Randy Savage, and it was just the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. Um, completely different to what I'd been used to growing up watching um, British wrestling and World of Sport uh, throughout the 80s. Um, but no... Um, that was all we'd get was infrequent airings of, I think it was wrestling challenge every few months on ITV. We never got the pay-per-view. So I never got to see Survivor Series 87. Um, the very first uh, Survivor Series I actually got to see was the same one that you saw, which was 1989's version. And, um, I got to see that a few weeks later. A friend of mine recorded it from, um, Sky. And, um, that was, um, very fun show, um, but a few years after it aired, um, I did get to see the first Survivor Series in '87, and um, one of the things that really impressed me was the fact that they were able to put on a ten-team a um, Survivor Series elimination match, and um, you know the fact that they had twenty guys around the ring um, was it was so impressive. Uh, but no, the Survivor Series over the years is. Delivered some very very memorable uh, matches and moments, and uh, you know,
1: I, I yeah. think it's nice that it's kind of it's rediscovering its its roots, you know, rather than just being another pay per view where we see the same yeah. same old matches and whatnot. Yeah, going back to that kind of that that format of the the elimination matches. Um, <laughs> I mean, just looking at the card from that 1989 one, what used to stand out as well is the teams all had names. You know, so there's Dusty Rhodes' team was the dream team. Um, Bossman's team was the enforcers. There was uh, Randy Savage was the king at the time. So he was the king's court, taking on um, the four by fours, which was Jim Duggan's team. Obviously, Hulk Hogan had his Hulkamaniacs up against the million dollar team. Uh, The Rude Brood. Um, Rick Rude's team taking on um, Rowdy's Roddy's uh, Roddy, sorry Roddy Roddy's Rowdy's. Jesus, try saying that when you've had a drink. <laughs> uh, the the ulti- the imaginatively imaginatively titled the Ultimate Warriors, led by you guessed it, the Ultimate Warrior, <laughs> taking <laughs> on the Heenan family. So I mean, it was always you know finding somehow finding the uh, the wrestler's name and the team team name and all this. It just it really corny and cheesy, but it was a lot of fun, wasn't it? There, there was just something about that seeing guys that you didn't normally see team together, all come together, fighting yeah. guys that you didn't normally see fighting each other. It was it was just a little bit different, wasn't it?
0: It was, and what really um, helped was that everyone was so distinctive and unique from the next person. Um, you know, it wasn't a case of um, you know cookie cutter characters where everyone looks very similar to each other and um, you know we certainly had too much of that um, in in, um, maybe five years ago 10 years ago where um, you know people weren't really distinguishable from one person to the next and um, I think WWE has tried to um, make a bit more of an effort to try and um, create some unique um, aspects to the individual talents um that we see nowadays but uh that that was certainly um that was very very good and it helped to kind of um follow the product as well in those days it was uh you know um, very easy to tell who was heels, who was faces and uh the storylines moved a lot more slowly as well back then so you can miss four weeks of television and you really would not have missed much because everything built towards these almost quarterly pay-per-views by that point in time so um after wrestlemania you'd have a very 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 slow build over four months leading into the SummerSlam. and um you know nowadays if you miss tv for two weeks um you know you've missed one or two title changes one or two um turns from face to heel and vice versa
1: and that's Um, just a big show (laughs) That's
0: right, (laughs) brilliant. (laughs) Um, Absolutely, and uh, different commentators and all sorts. Um, So it's very fast moving by comparison, Um, but uh, you know, nothing stands Uh, to.
1: Have you got? Have you got a particular favourite Survivor Series event? Then Uh, one
0: that um, I enjoyed. I mean, from a nostalgia point of view, was um survivor series uh nineteen ninety just because of uh all the many big names that took part in that event and obviously the debut of um the guy who I know had known as mean Mark Callis from WCW who then turned up um looking like um uh, somebody who was half dead and was known as The Undertaker. Um and uh obviously we had um you know, four minutes of technical brilliance with Teddy Biasi and uh Brett the Hitman Hart going at it at the end of their elimination match and uh you know we had the Warriors and you know Kerry Von Erich and Texas Tornado the uh, the legion of doom and obviously the ultimate warrior and his team and uh you know so many memorable characters and names that became legendary and uh, synonymous with the history of the WWF um, all on one show so um that certainly holds a special place, but, uh, survivor series 1996 is another one. Um, you know, I thought that the Madison square garden crowd was just magnificent that night. And, uh, you know, the, uh, reaction to the WWE title match between, um, Shawn Michaels and Sid was unforgettable. And if you haven't seen that match, uh, just go and track it down because, uh, you know, there's nothing like Shawn Michaels throwing a hissy fit and uh, he just really, really didn't like the reaction that that crowd gave him. And, uh, you know, they that was one of the first examples of bizarro world as well. You know, it was um, Sid getting the babyface reaction when he wasn't supposed to. And uh, uh, um, that was almost like a forerunner for what is very commonly seen now, almost on yeah, a weekly basis. A smart you know. crowd. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. um, As you mentioned, that 1990 event that that was uh, that was a fantastic one, and it's one that even now I can go back and enjoy. Uh, You know, years and years later, I can go back and enjoy it almost as much as I enjoyed it at the time. And it's really sort of survived the legacy of time. That one, it's um, it is that like you mentioned. You know, there's so much happening there. It's just fun. And that is yeah. that's the overriding thing with it, I think. It was an event that it was about fun. And and I certainly enjoyed that. What what a particular match for me that always stood out was actually Survivor Series 1992, and it was Bret Hart defending the WWE Championship against the Intercontinental champion at the time, Shawn Michaels, and obviously yeah. you know five years before we had the big swap over and whatnot. They had what was still one of my favourite matches between them two. I absolutely adored that match. I loved it. Loved the finish. It was brilliant. It was so smooth. It was just an absolutely fantastic wrestling match. And I I just really, really enjoyed it. And I think it was a, about the time where Shawn Michaels was really sort of hitting it off. His character was really taking hold, that heel character. And he was really coming into his own as a singles competitor. And, and Bret Hart obviously established himself as a, as a top guy in the singles in the singles rank, so i i to this day really really enjoy that match and but it's one that doesn't get talked about as much because obviously it was a long time before those two had the fallout and and everything else that went alongside it.
0: oh but you're quite right. I mean it was a fantastic match for each day, and uh really good technical match, two guys in their Pomp um Brett was so so good back then and uh Sean while still not quite at his peak uh was a very very good talent and uh obviously earlier that year gone out as a single star after his uh famous split with Marty Giannetti and you know we were obviously um together the Rockers and um you know he was a revelation as a single star wasn't he was HPK and uh Know, their, their work in that match was um, was superb. One of the best matches in the WWF of that year, or of the early 90s, full stop. And uh, certainly um, know, their, their work there was um, uh, just taster for all their other memorable legendary matches in the years that would follow.
1: Yeah, de- definitely if you get the chance, Go back and watch it. Go back and watch it. So, I mean, we're we're about out of time now more, but um, I think the message is clear, isn't it? Survivor Series has always been lots of fun. Uh, Obviously, we hope it's going to be be fun again this year. We will be doing a full preview of the cards next week, but uh, just a final word on the NXT event then. On the whole, are you looking forward to it? Um, Yes, I am,
0: yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't think the lineup for the previous show prior to SummerSlam was um anything to get overly excited about. But the show itself was really, really good and we both enjoyed it immensely. And uh, so I've no doubt that um with a really hot crowd and um a bunch of individuals on the card that will be looking to you know really um make their mark, I've got no doubt the show itself will be a home run once again.
1: Exactly. So there you go. Uh, but that just about wraps things up for this week. Uh, as we've mentioned there, you know, next week we will be back with a full preview of the uh, the Survivor Series event. Uh, but for now, my thanks to, to Mo Chatra. And our thanks to all of you for, for tuning in and listening to the show as always. Uh, we are on Twitter at PW underscore index if you want to get in touch with us. But until next week, from me, Andy Wales, it's bye bye now.